Welcome to the Galaxy Quest comic book review, where two lifelong Questarians have set out to read and review every comic book published based on the movie, TV show, and anything else Quest. Galaxy Quest and all stories, music, and characters within are copyrighted by DreamWorks Pictures. So please, set your voxes to silent as we boldly exclaim, Never give up, never surrender. Hello and welcome to Galaxy Quest Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 24 for April 1st, 2011. Yep, so we are actually leaving the uh, KH comic book series that we've been doing for the last several issues and we're moving to the five-part IDW series entitled Global Warning. Yes, Galaxy Quest Global Warning, that's right. So we're, we're, we're biting off a little more than normal because we're actually going to be reviewing five comic books here. Five, count them five. But as you say frequently, the IDWs tend to be a little shorter. Right. And the sad part about this is that it's actually the last of the Galaxy Quest comic books. Oh. I know, it's sad, right? It's been so long we've been reviewing them. I know. And, you know, these came out in what... Uh, 2008. So I kind of doubt IDW is going to dust off this franchise and and give it another go unless uh, unless you know a new TV series or a movie comes out. Exactly. So one can only hope. I know I'm hoping. Yeah, it would be good. But since we don't have a new movie or TV show to talk about, let's just uh, jump straight into these issues. Please, let's do. We do have five. Yeah. So. Uh, I'll go ahead and synopsize the first one. Uh, it is entitled... Do they have different names? They're just called Global Warning, right? And then within each episode, or each issue, there's three chapters. Exactly. But they're all five, five issues that make up the one story, Global Warning. Right. So each chapter has a different name, but each issue just is called Global Warning number whatever. Yep. So, all right. So we'll go through the credits then. So... The uh, writer was Scott Lordell. Art and colors by Ilias Kazanis. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, I don't know. It's, it it's a very interesting Eastern European last name. Kyranis. Ky uh, I would say Kyroisis. Uh, Kyroisis. Okay. Zis. Zis. Kyroisis. Kyroisis. So, if you're listening to this, I apologize for butchering your name. Ilias Kyroisis. All right, so letters by Robbie Robbins and edits by Tom Waltz. And this is obviously uh, based on the DreamWorks movie entitled Galaxy Quest, uh, which is somewhat based on the original TV show Galaxy Quest. There you go. All right, so chapter one is entitled Destiny Be Mine. And, well, let's step back. The uh, cover shows a picture of... Taggart working on a mine outside of the Protector while the uh, DeMarco, Lazarus, and Laredo are watching uh, in horror as he's tinkering around with his mine. Yes. Alright, so it starts off with Taggart, again, from the cover, is out doing a spacewalk, diffusing the mine, while Lazarus is taking care of uh, the damaged Protector, so he's now in charge. Taggart ends up sacrificing himself to save the ship uh, as the ship uh, speeds off. There's an explosion, and then we get a title card that says, To Be Continued. 
so thus ends chapter one. Chapter two starts, and it's entitled, And the Winner Is. So we find out that uh, we've been actually watching the pilot episode of Galaxy Quest, The Journey Continues, which we saw a little bit at the end of the, of the, the last movie. So the, the whole cast is there watching this movie because it's going to be kind of a backdoor pilot. Uh, if it's really done well or in the ratings, they're going to go ahead and greenlight an actual ongoing series. So the whole cast is here watching it in a, like a little theater. Uh, Gwen is actually dating a studio executive, though there's some sexual tension still between Gwen and Jason. Quan and the alien girl, which I think her name is Lalari. So yeah, so Quan and Lalari uh, keep talking about how they're wanting to try to conceive a baby since it's been a few years or at least a year or so since the last um, the last time we saw them in the movie. All right, so there's the after they watch the show and and the executives are very happy. They go to an after show party, and as jo- Jason is making a toast to the success of the upcoming movie, a, another TV crew member breaks in and says that the movie will now air opposite a very popular music show, kind of like an American Idol type thing. Uh, so this obviously dashes their hopes of getting the great uh, ratings bonanza that they were hoping for. Chapter 3 is entitled UF Friends or Foes. So we're sometime later. Uh, Nesmith is driving to his home and he finds the whole cast there at his house. They're there because there's actually an alien ship that's been hanging overhead the, or above the California sky. Uh, but Nesmith has been so down in the dumps that he didn't even notice it. Just as they're talking about what they can do, an Air Force chopper shows up and a gruff colonel states that they are ordered to come with him and that the fate of the world is resting on their shoulders. Thus ends issue number one. So it was pretty much a setup for the the five five issues. Right. So what'd you think of this one? Well, uh I thought it was it was fine. In some ways it captured some of the story elements and character elements of the uh of the original series. And in some ways, it did some some of its own things. I, I, I thought it was okay, not fantastic, but okay. Uh, I thought the uh, I thought the artwork was high quality stuff, which I like quite a bit. However, I think they I don't know whether it's because they saved money on paying the original actors or what, but uh, you know you can tell it that 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 uh, that they do make Peter uh, Captain Taggart look like Jason Esbitt, but you know, it is just different enough that it isn't really him. So they're, they're not being overly accurate. Especially Tech Sergeant Chen does not look like Fred Kwan. Uh, I mean, you know it's him, but he looks a lot different than the original actor. Yeah, they're, they're almost like caricatures of the original actors. Caricatures of the original actors. I think you're right. They're not trying to be uh, accurate. Right, and, and they're actually going for like the almost manga-type over over exaggerated facial uh, and body movements at times right uh, so w- which lends itself well to this kind of uh, I mean obviously it's more of a comedy than I mean it's supposed to be an intentional comedy right uh, kind of like the movie was a spoof right so it, it works at times but yeah you're right it doesn't quite look like the uh, the actor's true likenesses and I don't know why that is right uh, maybe they save money on paying people. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Rights or something. 
I thought it was interesting how they, they did this a little differently. You know, they had the three each. They broke each issue up into three chapters with their own titles. I've never seen that before. Nope. So I thought that was kind of inventive, new. I mean, am I crazy about it? Well, eh, maybe, maybe not. It, it, uh, it makes it feel like it was an episode of the show or like a really short episode because maybe like chapter one happened before the first commercial break, chapter two before mm-hmm. the second. Yeah, but, I uh, guess so. But there's really no continuation from chapter to chapter. They're, they're really self-contained mini-stories. Yeah, and they even have their own little full-page uh, covers almost. Yeah, I didn't really go over what each one of them looked like because I figured if somebody really wanted to know, they could grab the issue. Yep. Um, because it, they don't really add anything to the story. So my big thing is is that when you're reading this, issue number one, obviously it's quite a bit of time since the, the movie ended. But as we'll get into issue number two, it issue number two actually fills in the gap between the movie and this number one. Because I had a lot of questions as to why Jason and Gwen weren't together as they were at the end of the movie. And why he's kind of a womanizing jerk again uh, as he was, you know, he was kind of rehabilitated at the end of the movie. So why is he back to his old self? Exactly. But uh, those questions will get answered here in issue number two. Yes, they do jump around in time a little bit. Which is good. I liked it. Yeah, it keeps things interesting. keeps you wondering what's going on. I kind of like in that in that part they had, uh, filming, uh, wrapping the filming up. Right. Um, I thought that was interesting how they, at first I thought it was very odd they had a model of the protector in the bar. I mean, it's like th- th- this isn't, I mean, this bar is not made for, uh, it doesn't have a uh, Galaxy Quest theme to it or something, uh-huh. yet, yet Yet there's the ship. But they obviously rented out the place for this, so I'm sure they just plopped the uh, Protector model out there as part of the uh, decorations for the party. You know, and when I read it, I thought that was supposed to be an ice sculpture of some sort. Oh, ice, ice sculpture. Hmm, maybe. Because there on page 13, when, when it's kind of behind... Jason's back and he's kind of looking at Gwen as she's leaving with that uh, executive. It kind of looks like it's clear. So that's why I thought maybe it was supposed to be an ice sculpture. Good point. From the distance shot, I thought it looked gray. More like it was uh, like metal or something. Right. No, but I... yeah, that, that would make more sense, I suppose. Yeah. It, it, it's sad that that is the only time you actually get to see the protector in this whole comic I guess you got to see a little bit of it at the beginning when it was you know jetting away from Nesmith when he was about to sacrifice himself but you know I think that's what people want to see in a, in a Galaxy Quest story is, exactly. is the protector flying around which unfortunately in all five of these we don't get a lot of that No. so that was I, my that's my overall complaint about the whole series that it should have a little bit more protector flying around yeah well it is like another character isn't it very important one. Probably the most popular and most famous. Exactly. I mean, exactly. yeah, sure, people get tattoos of Nesmith on them, but you see more protector tattoos than you do the actor's tattoos. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I'm sure, maybe. Uh, another one of those mysteries is how does Nesmith know Colonel Stetson? Yep. Because I don't it? remember Colonel Stetson in the original movie, but... but- <laughs> But just stick oh, with us, Ken, and all will be revealed. Exactly. Ooh. Also, as it's showing the uh, the next episode... So, another thing they do structurally, 
at the end of every issue they have the cover of the next issue at the end of the the, the current issue that is kind of interesting at the end they've got uh, a shot of Gwen and Nesbitt and uh, Dr. Lazarus or I, I guess I should say Captain Taggart all in a defensive posture and I especially like the weapon that Dr. Lazarus is holding looks like some kind of big bladed thing oh yeah I didn't even notice that I thought that was a flag at first that's funny yeah anyway so, I guess that's supposed to be a depiction of what Donovan <laughs> is that supposed to be a uh, Gabther hammer or axe or whatever that they that he talks about all the time well bye <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like a hammer or something not uh not a b- 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 oh blade of some kind hmm Oh, well. It's pretty cool. Grafthor's hammer. Isn't it Grafthor's hammer? Yeah. Hammer? Well, and, and that's the funny thing. I know we've talked about it before, but in the original pilot, it was really supposed to be Thor's hammer. But then after they filmed it, they went back and redubbed it and put Gabthar's hammer. Ah. So That would be more alien. Right. And, but, you know, and then you get people like me who are nitpicky about, you know, the lips don't sync up right when he says Gabthar because in reality he was saying Thor but you know that's just being nitpicky you are you are nitpicky but that's okay so the, 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 I have one other thing on this issue if, if you don't mind please and and we talk about it later on but you know I liked that Quan is with the uh, the, the alien chick uh, Jane Doe but it, it just seems weird that they're wanting to have a baby really badly and that's really the only character development either one of those are going to get throughout this series kind of, nah. kind of their desire to have a baby to with each other and I don't, I don't know they just I don't know I would have liked to have seen more of their relationship instead of just jumping straight in and, and pretty much every line she has is about I, I want to put a baby in me or something like that a, a little version of you so Fred I, I, Exactly. Yes. So, I mean, I did, I, you know, I, obviously in the movie when Quan is the one that gets the girl, which, you know, in the TV show, he never once had an on-screen kiss. And then in the movie, <laughs> he's the only one that gets to, to make out with the alien babe. Right. But, uh, you know, I just would have liked to have seen more of that relationship develop instead of just these one-liners about needing an, or wanting a baby. Well, true. But at least they had him do something. I mean, they didn't have Lieutenant or Laredo in it much at all. Yeah, he's really a back backstreet. Back, him and Guy are pretty background characters in this. Yeah. Well, all they use Guy for is just to flip off the latest, uh, sometimes lame bit of humor. So sometimes the humor's okay, but a lot of times it's kind of lame. Right. And that's really all he's there for is to spout off some some jokes, which is what he was there for in the movie. But you know, True. sometimes that works and not. Yeah, and they they rehash some of the jokes later from the movie. So yes, we'll talk about that later. I'm sure. Right. So on number two. Yep, let's go on. Excellent. So issue number two has all the same people behind it, except the letterer is Neil Uitaki. Uitaki. Well, whatever. Uh, we've we've had Neil do lettering before on on previous. Uh, IDW Comics. But, uh, yes, so he's the guy... The letterer seems to be uh, the revolving door 
contributor. Everybody else seems to be pretty consistent. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Tom Waltz is the editor in all cases, but definitely the uh, uh, Scott and Elias are, are are both the writers and and uh, and art guys. Yeah, or I think you're guy. right. In this one, we have three chapters, like before. We have when Titans clash, reunited, and the final one, chapter number six. Tick, 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 tick. Let's find out what happens. The cover shows Captain Taggart armed with a ray gun. Dr. Lazarus armed with uh, a big knife-like weapon. Tawny speaking into her communicator. They are surrounded by U.S. troops armed with old 1950s vintage, 45 vintage machine guns and a large Area 51 highway sign behind them. The issue starts off with a flashback that, that explains where Nesbitt and company met Colonel Stetson. At the Galaxy Quest convention, immediately after the movie ended, the colonel and his troops stepped in to take the protector's landing craft and the crew slash actors into custody. They are taken in handcuffs to Area 51, where they are interrogated and physically examined. Nesbitt and company are coerced into signing a statement saying their crash landing was all part of a publicity stunt and the spaceship is a prop. They are released and returned to L.A. In the coming weeks, they find their popularity has skyrocketed. A TV executive wants to make a two-hour Galaxy Quest comeback special, and if that goes well, put the series back on the air. Production begins on the special, and all looks great for the cast, but Nesbitt still longs for space and being the real Captain Taggart. The flashback ends, and the cast finds themselves in Colonel Stetson's office at an undisclosed secret location. They are all sick of their latest abduction when the colonel says they can leave whenever they want to, but they will miss out on the best part. Curious, they follow Stetson into a huge control center that looks like a NASA setup, only bigger. The control center has a large bay next to it, containing the protector's, quote, command disk which is not really disc-shaped at all, as you'll recall. They are all happy to see it again. They find out the scientists that were ordered to find out everything they could about the craft could not get in due to a force field that apparently will, will only let the actors in. Colonel Stetson explains that the ship that parked itself in orbit around Earth is exerting such a strong gravitational field that it will tear up the planet in only two hours. They also find out that the Protector's command disk has repaired itself in the last weeks and it is the only craft capable of reaching the alien ship in time. Alex puts two and two together and states loudly that they want the actors to take the command disk up communicate with the aliens, and get that alien ship away from Earth. The issue ends with the actors aligned in a defiant V, with the protector streaking above them. The last page shows the cover of the next issue. The end. Yeah, okay, so this, think? this is the best picture of the, the protector that you're going to get. Right. And the crew looks pretty good, too. Right. This is a, this is a pose shot. Yeah, that, that could be a... That could be a cover shot or a movie poster or something like that. Right. Looks pretty good. Yep. Overall, this one was... I don't know. It was was even more of a setup than than issue number one. So I don't really have a lot to talk about. 
I, I yeah. did think it was funny the uh, the the Fletch reference when during the uh, how did you word it uh, physically um, when they're uh, being probed, I guess, because it shows. Oh, uh, physically examined. Yeah, physically examined. There, that was what you said. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Because it shows, uh, it shows guy getting probed, and he's trying to ask the nurse for her phone number, and then um, I guess it happens, and he says, "Moon River." Yeah, he ends up singing "Moon River." Yes. Which, which the only time I've ever seen that was in Fletch. Was that supposed? To, was that? A, oh, that, they did that. They did that in Fletch. No. Yeah, idea. yeah. He I had no uh, idea about that. He was trying to get uh, some some information out of the doctor. And he was pretending like he needed the, an exam. Oh, I see. And he he starts singing that. And then he asks him, you know, how many fingers he's using and stuff like that, which may not be appropriate for this podcast. <laughs> wow. Okay, I, I, I'm even less impressed with that joke than I was before now that I know that they ripped it off. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I, I thought that was just an example of uh... – all right, I guess it. Uh, I don't know. No, it's, I, 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 it's, it's just crass, um, like old-fashioned kind of humor. Uh, it's, but it's, it's eh, plotty humor, and and they don't really need it in in this story. I didn't think. Yeah, but, uh, but that's you know, guy gets to do definitely gets to do the the com- comedy lines as he did in the movie, and uh, sometimes they work and sometimes not. And Gwen gets to do the scantily clad uh, scenes as she does in the panel before that where they're uh, giving her a scrub down. Yes. <laughs> and she says, watch that brush, buster. Exactly. So getting back, all the things that they had set up in the movie, they had definitely carried through uh, many of those elements into this book. And one thing is definitely trying to show as much of Gwen as they could. Yep. But I did like the explanation about how the government shows up as soon as it crashes into the the Galaxy Con, and you know pretty much takes the the command disk to you know Area Fifty One or whatever. I, I actually liked liked that that storyline because yeah, it explained things well, right? And and it made it somewhat believable that they would try to, to the government would make it seem like it was a big publicity stunt, even though the publishers of Galaxy Quest made no reference that they did it right so it, right. it was just good it was believable and and i liked it didn't quite explain why the 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 convention center had to get destroyed but oh well. right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah well you know it's a story they're just gonna move on little details like that don't matter i thought towards the end of the issue where stetson is explaining how threatened earth is and they actually have some kind of a holographical kind of earth-blowing-up graphic going on. I thought that was looking pretty doggone high-tech for, you know, uh, uh, basically our current time frame. Now, With no additional technical aid from any kind of alien influences. So I thought it was... It looked cool. It was, it was cool. It got the point across. Uh, I just thought a little bit looked a little too high tech. Yeah, you know what? When I first saw that, I kind of thought that maybe it was just supposed to be he. That's what he was explaining. But yeah. now that you mentioned that, and I look closer at the picture, you can actually see like a little generator generating these pictures. So you are. Right. Oh, they went to they went to that that. <laughs> they, I didn't I didn't know it was the generator, but they actually went to that degree. Hmm, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I always thought it was just kind of like a you know a little 
thought balloon behind him explaining what he's talking about. But no, you're right. Right. It, it, it's supposed to really be there. Yeah. Good point. So. And I thought it was a little convenient that the uh, the protector can repair itself. I don't remember them mentioning yes. that at all in the movie or in the old TV show or at any time did they ever say the ship can repair itself. Exactly. And if it can repair itself, what do you need uh, Chen for? Exactly. I mean, I mean, really. And all, and, and uh, all the all the all the engineers he had at his disposal. Exactly. What well, what do they do if the ship repairs itself? Of course, it's not the first time you've heard that kind of concept. The old BBC series Blake's Seven, the Liberator, which was their ship, was an alien ship that they found. And since they were like five. Blake's seven. There was like, <laughs> there was a. Uh, actually, it's really kind of interesting. I mean, there never are seven people in it, but whatever. Um, so the, the people that come onto it are escaped convicts, basically, and they have no no knowledge of how to how to how to fix the ship. So luckily, it repairs itself. So uh, there is precedence for such sophisticated ships that they can actually repair themselves. So I'm not that familiar with uh, Blake Seven, but. You know, Galaxy Quest started in 1979. Do you know when Blake 7 started? Is it about the same time? Uh, I think it was I think it was more like the early 80s. Okay, so they were pretty close. Yeah, but definitely Blake 7 came out after Galaxy Quest. So they do get some of their ideas. Like they have teleporters or conveyors. Okay. But they call it oddly enough, I think I'm pretty sure they call them transporters. <laughs> How silly. Hmm. Not not digitizers, exactly. So I mean, we've talked about this before, but it is funny that the uh, you know the famous quote "digitize me" was uh, never once mentioned at all in 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 all ninety two episodes of the original series. Yet that's the one line that in "Never Give Up" and "Never Surrender." Those are the two lines that everybody associates with with Galaxy Quest. Just just a little tidbit of information. There you go. Such good ones don't have to be repeated. Or ever said at all. They can stick. <laughs> they can stick. Yeah. They never said it, or they said it in the... They never said uh, it. Hmm. They've never, it's never once mentioned in the old show or in the new movie or anything, but, but it's a line that's always associated with the show. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'll go with that. The only other thing I have is that, and this is just kind of maybe me just being... It's just a weird shot. The Chapter 5 title card for the uh, Reunited, it's, it's this weird shot kind of taken from Gwen's feet looking up while she's sitting in the command chair of the Protector. Mm-hmm. It's just a really odd camera angle, I thought. Did you notice? Well, yeah. Well, yeah, shooting up. Yeah, but from way low. Yeah, but from like her feet, and so her calves are huge, and then her head's like really tiny, and way off in the distance. Kind of like they were using right. a fish, fish-eyed lens or something like that too. Hmm. Just, just a weird shot. I thought. It is. It is. The last thing I have to say about it is um, I don't know if you ever heard of this actor, but Patrick Stewart. Yeah. I. It looks like Colonel Stetson looks a lot like Patrick Stewart. From X-Men? Let me look. Hold on. He looks like Professor yes! X. Exactly. He looks like Professor X. There you go. Yeah, he does kind of. Yeah, he has the sharp nose and the, the obviously bald. bald head. Yeah. Of course, uh, 
Patrick Stewart often has a little donut of hair, but still. Yeah, but he didn't when he was Professor X. Doctor, that's right. Yeah, I see it, especially like on page 16 when he's kind of looking at Quan, kind of at at the corner of his eye. He looks a lot like Patrick Stewart, you're right. There you go, there you go. Uh, Good call. Also, also he did an excellent job in the movie adaptation of Dune. The first one? The only one, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, you didn't see the... Uh, the... I Oh, I saw him. I just didn't uh, find him interesting. You didn't like him? I like the... On the Sci-Fi Channel? Yeah, I like the first one, the miniseries. Yeah. I haven't seen the, uh, the that old Dune in a very, very long time. Oh, well. There you go. It had Kyle McLaughlin in it, right? And Sting. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Sting, who was apparently doing some sit-ups back in those days. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Who okay. who directed that? It was somebody. Um, David Lynch. Yeah, David Lynch. But he did, he put Alan Smithy on it because he was mad. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. I thought yeah. I thought he dis disowned it before they released it. He did. I did not know that. Uh, maybe I'm misremembering, but I thought he did. You might be. Let's not get off in the weeds. We got five five issues. Yep, we got three more. And we're about halfway through. So, excellent. Anything else for issue number two? No, that's it. All right, so issue number three, and let's see, writing staff, same, letterer is back to Robbie Robbins, and everything else is the same. Starts off with chapter seven, called My Home World, Away From Home, and it has this interesting picture of Jane Doe firing this uh, laser weapon at the, the huge gravity ship while holding a little earth globe that's crying like a baby huh. so it's actually what 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 would what, you call the the laser i called it a laser oh okay i thought something else huh go ahead <laughs> nope just laser oh, okay good all right so the uh, story starts off where we see mathazar and the other thermans um and they're rebuilding new thermi because as we remember in the movie uh their home world was destroyed so Mathisar receives a communication from Jane Doe about the judgment ship that has uh, parked itself in Earth orbit. Uh, they calculate that Earth has about 93 minutes left. He assures her that Taggart, Taggart and the crew always complete their missions in less than one hour, so she has nothing to worry about, which I thought was actually pretty funny. Uh, so uh, Jane is then contacted by Chin, and he digitizes her to the protector. So, Chapter 8, The Miss of Delos 57. Jane Doe and Chen have a quick embrace when she reappears on the ship. The command section has made Earth orbit thanks to some chemical booster rockets that the military has attached to it. Once they are in orbit, they head towards the Judgment Ship. And it's called the Judgment Ship because Jane Doe calls it that in issue number 2. Did we mention that? I, don't, I can't remember. She actually recognizes the ship and calls it the Judgment Ship. So that's what I'll be referring to it. it yeah. um, the Thermians definitely know what it is. Right. So uh, Gwen and Jason have a quick moment alone. Jason puts the moves on her, and she pulls away, saying that uh, their time has passed, and the end of the world is not the time to get into that, and is not going to change anything. So then we move on to Chapter 9, The Last Leg. So Jason arrives back on the bridge, just as they're about to approach the judgment ship. Then they're caught by a tractor beam and pulled in. Uh, once they actually enter the ship, 
the sudden gravity changes causes everyone to pass out. Jason is able to awake, and he sees an exotic woman arriving on the bridge, and she claims that the judgment ship is there to watch the Earth be torn apart into a million pieces, and it's to be continued. And the lady is pretty darn hot, I think. She is pretty hot, in a alien kind of would really mess you up bad if you ever had sex with her way. <laughs> yeah, she is obviously into the, uh, you know, she has like these space-age gl- thigh-high boots and... <laughs> and platforms, jeez, look at how high those oh, yeah, uh, right. soles are. <laughs> she's just missing the whips and stuff. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but she's got gravitational force, so... There yeah, and, and I, no whips needed. I actually thought that was really good. I thought that was a cool way to use gravity as a weapon, because you know we've seen in other science fiction shows that they can turn the gravity off in a certain section to make people start floating around, and and then they're able to overcome them. Um, so we've seen turning gravity off as a weapon before, and it's usually kind of comical. But I really like the idea of if you can control gravity on your ship, just crank it down so all the blood, you know, leaves the your brain and pa- and you pass out. I thought that was brilliant. Yes, there are so many possibilities when you think the of the consequences of some of the um, some of the technologies that that they present in these uh, science fiction shows. Right, but but I mean, am I wrong? Have you ever seen this in another? Um, science fiction franchise or anything where you turn on the gravity I mean like I said I've seen them turn off the gravity and they start floating around and it's all fun but I thought this was actually uh, I I have some kind I have recollection where somebody's turning up the gravity to pin people to the ground but not necessarily to knock them out what was that from what was that from now that you mention it it does sound familiar because there's like a person like standing like two feet away from them and they're okay, but the like gravity in that one little section was really was dense. was increased or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, f- I forgot. But anyway, but anyways, uh, was, but no, but but I I think yeah, I think the idea like 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 once you have um, digitizer technology, think about all the things you can do with something like that. I mean, if you can re- recreate the complexity of a human being, I mean, what else could you recreate? Hmm. Good point. Anyway, we won't get into uh, the whole. If you get digitized, you're really just creating a clone and, and destroying the original, right? No, let's not let's not overanalyze it. <laughs> we don't have enough time. Now, uh, just real quick, I, I I love that they actually had Mathazar in this issue because I was kind of afraid he wouldn't make it in the show at all. Right. Yeah, it's it, he was a good character. He was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I think the actor did a really good job in the movie. Right. And I thought they used him well here as, uh, you know, kind of the... None of these people are very scientifically scientifically savvy. So mm-hmm. it's it's nice to have an outside force be able to explain to us, the, 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 the viewer, kind of what's going on. Yeah, and we get a little bit of that with Olari, but Mathisar, it, it, it's good having him, him do it too. So uh, what I thought was odd in that picture where they're rebuilding um, their home world, they're actually rebuilding it out in space, kind of if it was a space station. And they're floating around in space, both in their human disguises and in their octopus disguises, which which I thought 
Well, the one's a disguise and the one isn't a disguise. Aren't they really like octopus people? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry about that. But what I thought was odd is that in the movie, when when the uh, when the bad guys are trying to kill everybody on the ship, they they're doing it by releasing the oxygen into space, and and it shows all everybody you know dying because they're mm-hmm. not able to breathe. Yet here in this picture, none of them are wearing spacesuits and they're just floating around in space without any issue. Yeah, and they don't even have the kind of um, green-hued force field around the body like Commander Taggart had at the beginning of the first episode. Oh, that's a good point. So they don't even have that kind of thing around them, as far as we can see. Yeah, no, I don't know if it's just... uh, um, I mean, they are in space, right? Yeah, yeah, they look like they're in space. They're floating around. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Anyways, again, being nitpicky. Exactly, and uh, and you know, I don't care how how tough your alien form may be. I mean, pretty much no aliens are going to be gestated, born in space. I mean, really, come on, they're going to be on a planet, and I don't care how tough you are, just hanging around out in space. Although Doctor Who did it, <laughs> I don't know how. I hate when they do stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think any creatures can just be hanging around out in space and uh, have no problem with it. Well, unless you're born out in space, like the the giant that, no, one-eyed no, squid no, thing in in the original show. Uh, yeah, another another television series has things um, like um, Farscape, uh, Moya, the uh, the spaceship they drive around in oh, that's yeah. living. You know, I mean, okay, so there there may be some kind of really weird-looking things like that that may be out there, but kind of like humanoid-like forms or even octopusian-type forms, I'm not buying it. No, I agree. And like I said, I, I couldn't be 100% positive that they were actually in space and not just on the planet, but right. it does look like they're floating, so that's why I'm thinking that they're in space. Yeah, I think you're right. Again, just being nitpicky. I did wrong like, with that, man. I did like how she gets digitized on the ship. I thought that was a good visual. Uh, but what I don't understand is that once she gets on the ship, Alexander Dane is wearing his Dr. Lazarus makeup. He's actually wearing the, the headdress again, which yep. in the previous two issues he wasn't wearing. And I kind of find it hard to believe they would delay launching the protector to you know, go talk to the judgment ship just so that he can go and slap on his, his headdress. Do you think that this ship wouldn't respond to him unless he did look like that? No. Because I thought it was just biosignature, not not a visual. <laughs> it was his biosignature. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, at the beginning parts of the comic series, D- D- Dane did did not have all the makeup on. No. So. It was like, oh, is are, is he going to be? I mean, are we at least not going to have that rubber head all the time? And no, it's, there's the rubber head. <laughs> yeah, I thought that he would only be wearing it when they were doing like little flashbacks to the to the TV show or the new exactly. TV show. But no, he just puts it on to to, to go about his business. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyways, that, that's all I have for issue number three. Do you have anything else? I I, I did thought... like the cover. I guess we didn't. I didn't mention that. Cover has Guy uh, kind of with his arm around Gwen as if he's trying to protect her from a, like... Or or Coppafield. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a... It's maybe both. 
And as per usual, uh, she looks pissed. Yeah, she does. Cause... Which is something that's unfortunate about what they've done with the character in here. I mean, she is almost perpetually pissed about something. Yeah, well, she was a little angry at times in the movie, but but oh, yeah, no, she's always geez. kind of depicted as uh, I don't want to as a little airheady in the in the original TV show. Right, and she's definitely sometimes drawn with airheady looks on her face. Like there's one scene, uh, I'm not, I forgot exactly which issue, but everybody looks, I, I think it was when they, that's right, I think it was after they are brought back after the judgment ship is in orbit and they see the uh, command disc again for the first time in a while. Mm-hmm. And they're all looking at it. And it shows all of them looking at it and everybody's got a like a, ooh, ah, it's so good to see it. And then she's got kind of a ditzy kind of, ooh, kind of look. Yeah, so, her, her head's kind so of tilted to the side. Be, between her having the kind of like airhead look to it, but more so, I mean, she's she's constantly in a bad mood. Well, I mean, she's fine in some 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 scenes. Right. It's just yeah. Frequently, I mean, she's maybe in a really bad mood. Maybe they're building up the jilted lover type thing between her and Jason a little too much. Yeah, I definitely think so. As a matter of fact, I, I think in some places, especially the number of panels that are depicted to that uh, that little awkward romantic moment they had, you know, when they end up holding hands, they didn't realize it. Right. I, I just thought uh, they, they, they took so long and, de- and devoted so much time and artwork to that. I just, I don't know. Yeah, that was... It just seemed like it was overly done. Yeah, that was four pages, over four pages worth of art, which I was able to, I mean, which I summed up in, in one line with them having a quick <laughs> moment to, alone together and Jason putting the moves on it. Exactly. Like they eat up See? four pages of a twenty-two comic, twenty-two uh, page comic, just with right. that, right. and nothing ever comes of it. Right. Yep. Good point. All right. I mean, it's important to to continue to, I guess, keep keep that idea that there's that 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 boyfriend girlfriend sexual tension thing, as you said earlier. But uh, I don't know. I think they devote. They, I think it's almost to the point of, uh, like, almost like filler. It's like, hey, we need a little bit more. Uh, stuff going on there. Well, let's stretch out that uh, Gwen and Taggart thing. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And of course, I thought it was very typical Taggart, hunka hunka man, you know, always in the, the sexual situations with the aliens that at the end, uh, the first judgment pers- uh, ship person they see is a sexy alien woman. Well, you gotta, you gotta have the moon princess in the story. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, good point. Anyway, shall we go to number four? Yes, please. Excellent. Okay, so number four is made up, again, of three chapters. Be careful what you wish for is number 10. Number 11 is we'll act for food. And number 12 is, alas, poor Jason. I knew him well. Of course, they didn't tack that last part on. Now, this one's publishing date is October 2008, which I thought was kind of interesting, because I'm pretty sure that issue number four, or number three, also had a publishing date of October 2008. But, I mean, I guess, why not? I mean... Well, it it could be that October was a five... Because comics always come out on Wednesday. Yeah. So, if there was five Wednesdays in that month, then it could have been the very first Wednesday and, and the very last Wednesday. 
uh, and that's why there's not a. That's why there's probably not a. a there's not. A, there isn't a November. There isn't a November one. So is that common? Because I've never seen that before. Yeah, it's common because they use. Okay. It's usually a four week thing, and usually that, you know, every you know you you have you have one, you wait three weeks, and then you have. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's usually on a rotation, and like when you have a monthly comic, right? Like you know, like DC Comics or KH Comics or whatever, and they have ongoing series. If there's a fifth week there in that month, then a lot of times they won't release any of their normal stuff on that week, and they'll have like a special event. It'll be like a week five event. So instead of coming out with you know what would be the first first series for the next month, they would have like a little crossover event type thing, or just do a bunch of like one shot type stuff. So it, it's pretty common. Yeah, I've uh, I'm not into comic books. As far as you are, I mean, I used to be when I was a kid. I just uh, I never noticed this before. I mean, especially when you consider that comics usually came out. At least if I get this right, physically months ahead of what the published date is. Right. I think I got that right. Yep. So it could be September, but damn it, if you don't have November's publish date on it, it's like the whole thing seemed kind of. You know, not incredibly precise, at least as far as I could see, since it was already published with dates that were uh, months ahead of time. I didn't think it was that, like, you know, oh, it's it's coming out today. It's got to be that date, that month. So yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It, it it's not really consistent. And I mean, this is a mini series, so they probably didn't really care that much about the, the you know, it being each each one a different month, right? Like you would if it was an ongoing. And you had subscriptions for 12 issues a year kind of thing. Right. So Okay. I just thought I'd point that out. Yeah, good point. Getting back to the story, though. Uh, this time we have Chris Maury doing lettering, uh, and everybody else is the same. Okay. So the cover shows what appears to be a Thermian threatening a woman and a man in a suit. It's probably Lilari in her true form. But what is it with the 1950s alien space monster routine? That's what I was thinking to myself when I looked at it. Um, okay, so chapter 10, Be Careful With What You Wish For, shows Captain Taggart and Tawny. Commander. On a, uh, Commander Taggart, yes. And Tawny on a stallion, rearing up on its hind legs. They both have ray guns, and of course, it's sunset, or sunrise, uh, on an ocean beach. The next several pages go over Gwen and Jason's romance. After the show started filming again, they are on a beach, so much in love. But Jason blows it by fooling around with Ellie Mae Clampett in a horse stable. Gwen is, of course, devastated and leaves him. She tries to call her dearest friend, Alex Dane, who is in London, devastated over a bigger-than-life poster of himself in Dr. Lazarus makeup, advertising his starring role as Richard III. And, unfortunately, he cannot talk to her. Next, she tries to call her second dearest friend, Fred Kwan, who cannot talk to her, given her, given at the moment, because of his, his wife, Lilari, reverting to her natural big octopus form and is terrorizing some people in, a, in the same scene that's on the issue's cover. Chapter 11, Will Act for Food shows Jason looking like a bum, sitting on a city street with a sign with the chapter's title on it, We'll Act for Food. 
Jason is in Beverly Hills, impatiently waiting in line to get his uh, morning latte on. On the first day of shooting for the new show, no one seems to recognize him, despite him being in his, in his commander Taggart costume. He leaves the coffee shop, drinking his coffee, and whining about no one asking for his autograph, when he is almost run over by a limo. Sandy Cashew is in the limo, and he does not recognize Jason either, even though he is the producer of the revitalized Galaxy Quest show. He ends up giving him his card in case Jason does turn out to be injured. A quick shot of the judgment ship is shown. Jason finally gets to the studio, where the guards don't recognize him either and will not let him in. He climbs the fence and is rushing to get to makeup when he stops as a shocking Galaxy Quest poster is in front of him and does not have him in it. Dr. Lazarus has the commander's bars. Jason is shown on the ground, face down, eyes closed, and sweating. Alex and Gwen walk by just in time to ignore Jason and talk about how good it is getting back and working with each other again. It's like working with a family. Jason is shocked. Chapter 12 Alas, Poor Jason starts with a full-page shot of a statue of Dr. Lazarus holding the disembodied head of Jason and thereby recreating the famous Hamlet scene. And of course, this is all a big, gray, stony statue. A scene from the revived show is acted out with Dr. Lazarus in the commander's chair. Dr. Lazarus is about to end his scene when suddenly Jason runs up and shouts into Lazarus's face. Yet there is no reaction from Alex or anyone else. It's like Jason is not there. Jason finally realizes that he is on the judgment ship and that the alien beauty is filling his head with this unreal dream. He forces himself awake and sees the rest of the crew around him is unconscious. He tries to wake them, but the alien chick tells him that he should let them sleep since they will all be dead soon. She says... Jason and the rest of the people of Earth have been judged as not worthy of continued existence and will die. A determined-looking Captain Taggart says that is not going to happen. With that, the issue ends and shows the next issue's cover with Commander Taggart and Dr. Lazarus back-to-back and ready for a fight since they are surrounded by all kinds of well-armed, threatening-looking aliens. Yep, from big to small. There's a giant behind him, and there's little bitty, like, Lilliputian-type uh, guys attacking him as well. Yes. So, and if you look in the back, oh, there's our old the, friend, the rock alien. It sure is. That's awesome. And I I thought that rock alien worked so well in the movie. Yeah, it did. Now, I don't know if you so. watched the, uh, the, the special features on the Blu-ray, but... You know, when, when Jason is on the planet and he's 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 talking to Alexander Dane through the, the box and, and he's like and, and Dane's like, Well what's the rock creature's motivation? And then yeah. he's like, He's a rock, he doesn't have motivation. Well they had this whole scene where Alexander uh becomes the rock monster and he's like doing all these acting type all 
I'm the right. rock monster thing. And and come to find out that the rock monster's motivation is the vibrations and stuff. So when the ground is vibrating because somebody's walking on it, it it, it hurts him. And he has to start attacking it to keep it from, uh, you know, vibrating anymore, which which is, is kind of cool. But then yeah. there was also that, that scene later when, when it shows the rock monster being jettisoned out of the protector and kind of floating in space. Right. Um, there was originally supposed to be like a, a title card to kind of explain or kind of translate what he's saying. And <sighs> it was like, finally at peace, quiet, you know, because he's out in the vacuum of space oh, where there's yeah. no vibration and there's no sound. Sure. And sure. so the it had like an interview with the writer and he's like, I really wanted that in there because I wanted to explain that, you know, they weren't hurting the rock monster. They were finally giving him peace that he's searched his right. whole life for. Which right. which I thought was pretty funny. Huh. Cool. But that would have taken too much time to explain all that. True. Probably. Yeah. It, yeah. It would have you would have had to have seen that scene first to get his motivation, which was right. kind of drug on a little bit. Right. Anyways. All right. Yeah, so like I mentioned before, I'm very. I, I really enjoyed how they brought the rock monster back from the uh, movie. Yeah, I good. thought I thought that was great. No, I mean, well, even though he was in the background, he didn't do anything. And, and I thought that I was never noticed a nice little. Good. I thought there was a nice little Easter egg back there. Yeah, it was good. This issue, I, maybe a lot of these issues really seem like filler. That <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. you could have yeah. not had this issue and gone straight to issue number five. And but done some of the things in it. I yeah, mean. I mean, well, you had to explain that they're in some sort of dream and that they they need to be, you know, shaken out of it. But, I mean, so much time is spent on Gwen's dream and then Ta- Taggart's dream. And it's kind of implied that we're getting glimpses of other people's dreams through Gwen's, you know, that she actually talks to Chan and she talks to um, Alex. But... I mean, is that supposed to be their real dream? Because obviously the Jason in her dream is not the Jason in his dream. So I was, like I said, it seemed kind of like fluff in that it really didn't make sense once you really thought about it anyways. All right, so at the beginning of the issue, when it has the title card for Chapter 10, right. and it shows the shows the two of them on a horse in the sunset and everything, Yes, yes. Uh, that reminded me of, and I'm assuming they probably put it in there as an homage to how uh, Galaxy Quest started with the, um, you know, originally it was created to be a Western called West Quest, <laughs> and they actually shot the pilot, and then, then you know, the studios was like, eh, now nah, Westerns are out, uh, try to make it a sci-fi thing, and then they ended up doing Galaxy Quest. So I'm assuming that's probably why they put that shot in there, to kind of play an homage to uh, the original pilot. I, I thought it was three things. What's a that? Western, yes. And then it became something else, and then it became a sci-fi show. Well, no, they, only two. No, they, well, it was going to be uh, a, like a military submarine type show, Navy Quest. Oh, but Navy they, Quest, that's it. Yeah, but they okay. never actually filmed that one. That was just uh, that was just in the in the in the script stages, and then they went ahead and went full fledged uh, sci-fi. Okay, so that was the middle one. You know, because you know, Quest. Star Wars came out in what seventy eight, so. You know, they they wanted to put sci-fi was was booming at the time. So. All right, there you go. Nobody wanted to watch Navy men in a submarine. They want to watch lasers and aliens and whatnots. Whatnots and hot alien babes. And hot human babes that repeat the computer. <laughs> <laughs> in tr- uh, true, true. 
Oh. I, I just wish that they would have shown, you know, Laredo and Guy, you know, at least a nod that they're there in a dream right. of their own. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely Laredo. They're not showing him much at all in this. And then Guy's just there for humor. So, I mean, they're, they're definitely choosing to focus on certain characters. Right, and, the big, uh, the big it would be just like, just like exactly. you know, just like the show exactly. was always the big three. But yeah, a lot of sci-fi franchises has their three yeah. characters, and then big, everybody big, else may go. get an episode centered here and there every once in a while. But exactly, but for the most part, you know, the other guys are just there to uh, they're supporting characters, help fly the ship. <clears throat> yes, exactly. Okay, I don't remember them. It was interesting. Well, I guess it's a dream, so who cares? But they never did. Men- I don't don't remember them explaining what the trigger event was for uh, Lilari to go nutso and revert to her fully octopusy uh, form. Right. They kind of explain it in issue number five a little bit better as to what's really going on there, but uh, you're right. In this one, there's no explanation at all. I don't remember. Um, okay. I'm looking forward to five. I don't remember their, them explaining that either, but cool. Okay. And uh, my only last comment is I always liked in sci-fi shows, whatever. I always preferred straightforward conflict and kind of like reality kind of mono-e-mono kind of things instead of all this like in-your-head kind of psychic mumbo-jumbo like thing. Twilight Zone-ish type stuff? Like this? Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess Twilight Zone can, can, can be that way. But yeah, I always preferred the ones where they're straightforward. I, 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 I hate to use the word realistic, but I guess I'm going to have to. As opposed to like uh, like dreamy, in people's minds, manipulating, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. I, I, like the, I like the dreamy type, you know, psychological stories occasionally. But, you know, but with this being, you know, what I was hoping was at least the first miniseries that IDW would do in Galaxy Quest, which ended up being the only one. I, I'm just disappointed that this is the one they started it off with. Right. You know, the very first one out of the gate won't have any real action at all, be kind of cerebral, did it, did it not happen kind of yeah. thing going on, yeah. which which is great as a one-off, but not as your, I mean, this is the pilot episode for a comic book series and probably the wrong kind of story to be telling. Yeah. But no, I agree with you. Well, you know, there there have been film series in the past that, uh, you know, with the more cerebral, dreamy, mental manipulation kind of things, didn't quite fly. They came back with a good old-fashioned, straight-in-your-face kind of a conflict thing, and they that that's that's what sold the series. That's true. I don't know. Yeah. It's happened before. It and they did, And they didn't sell the comic series here, unfortunately. Yeah. On okay. in regards to her turning into her octopus form, I mean they do state, or he's stating that she's about to give birth, and that's what's making her go crazy. It's there on. Oh, that she's actually giving birth. Yeah, he says. Oh. That, he says that there right uh, the page right before the will act for food. Yeah. He says, "Here I am, so worried about my problems while she's about to give birth." I guess this is Gwen oh, talking. But... I hope about... there aren't okay. any complications. Well, okay, I didn't take it. Literally about to give birth. I thought it was like she's pregnant. Okay. I didn't realize that she was actually giving birth when she was throwing all those people around. Mm. All right, I'll have to look at issue number five because when I read this, I thought that's kind of what was going on. That she well, was. That if she, I mean, if she was actually in 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 labor, 
I mean, that makes sense why she reverted back to her normal form. Well, let's go through issue number five, and maybe maybe I wrote down yeah, what made. But it was it was all dream anyway. So, so who True. cares? True. True. It was all. It wasn't real. So no, it was not. So they, they it. The dream manufactured the, the, the situation, the dire situation that Fred was going to react to. So, there you go. Shh, you're, you're spoiling issue number five, Ken. Oh, wow. Am I really? <laughs> Do you think anybody doesn't get what's going on by now? Okay. All right, let's just go number into five. it. Issue number five. All right, did you have anything else on four? Nope. All right, issue number five. Same writer, art, letterer is Robbie Robbins. Edits is Tom Waltz, so everybody else is the same except the letterer. All right, so chapter 13, Inherit a Cosmic Wind. So we get into Dane's illusion, uh, Alex Dane's illusion, and basically he's only being famous for Lazarus. And as Ken mentioned earlier, he's actually doing Richard III as Lazarus, not as Alexander Dane. So as he's doing his third curtain call as King Richard III, Jason shows up, rips away his makeup on stage during the performance, and basically snaps him out of it that he needs to be Alex and not uh, just uh, Lazarus. So that, that wakes him up out of his fear. And uh, Dane and Jason then start going into everybody else's dreams to kind of wake them up from, from their fear. So we get a little bit of what everybody's fear was. Uh, Dane wakes up Jane and Quan, who are in the same dream, uh, and what it is is that I guess they're both afraid that Quan doesn't love Jane uh, all that much or as much as she should because she's an alien. But since he's willing to sacrifice his own life to save her, that proves that he loves her, and, and they, they both wake up and all's good. Jason goes into Gwen's dream and he tells her that he's happy for her to be with Sandy and that he's honored to just be her friend. And so I guess that relieves whatever sexual tension's been going on and they're a she's able to wake up from that fear. Uh, then we get to chapter 14, which is called My Friend, Myself. So as everybody's waking up, including Laredo and Guy, which we don't know what their dreams were, the alien woman, which they call a judge right. She basically tells them that uh, they had their chance to prove themselves. Um, worthy. Yeah, prove their, their species as worthy, but there's still war on Earth. There's still poverty. The rich doesn't help the poor. Uh, so they don't deserve to, de to live, basically. So the ship's going to stand there in judgment as the Earth shakes itself apart due to the gravity. And basically, due to the people on Earth, the humans fear of the unknown but uh, Jason is able to talk her out of it with some BS about how humans are not <laughs> controlled by fear but they're actually controlled by hope inspired by hope or something <laughs> BS but anyways, <laughs> so basically that that convinces the, the, the woman not to hold earth in judgment anymore and she takes her ship and leaves the cast is able to get to the protector and, and leave the ship before it, it speeds away. So then we get to the epilogue, which is called Once More with Feeling. We get to the cast. Uh, the cast is getting all together to watch the made-for-TV movie. They know that it's going to be a bomb because of this American Idol thing that's going on at the same time. They're, you know, they're going to watch it and enjoy it all the way to the end. 
And as a guy is channel surfing, he's re- he realizes that every channel is broadcasting the, the TV movie. And then we find out that uh, this is due to Mathazar being in the – I called it the Protector too, but I guess it's just the Protector with a new command section. He's he's in orbit, and basically there's a communication equipment on the Protector that's causing the Earth all Earth broadcast to be showing that one episode kind of as a joke. And then Math- Mathazar says with a wink to the camera, that is correct. Never give up and never surrender. Da-da-da. And thus ends the show. There you go. Uh, everybody's raising toasts. Wine glasses in the air. Yep. And so, toasting the success. Which which I thought that was that was kind of cool that, you know, Mathazar accidentally on purpose causes the, the Galaxy Quest TV show to be broadcast around the whole world. Because, I mean, that kind of has some real-world relevance because the original Galaxy Quest, when it was on TV, wasn't all that popular until... There was a rained-out World Series game, and <laughs> and they stuck Galaxy Quest on there to fill the spot. And so right. people were going to watch the World Series, and eh, so what's this science fiction thing? So yeah. it, it got a little rise in popularity due to that. So I thought this was kind of cool that they're you know tipping their hat to what, what really happened. There you go. Also, let me point out, though, that I'm pretty sure that the that it's still, like you said, it's still the, the, the original protector that the Thermians had, had put together. But I think it's still missing a command deck. Is it? If oh yeah. You look at the picture. Yeah, on that last page. You're right. right. It's missing the command deck. So they're using the auxiliary bridge. I guess so. Mm. They continue using that. They should just rebuild it or something. Or maybe they intended to get it all together in their next big adventure. Oh yeah, maybe that's which why never happened. Yeah, that's, that's why they're in orbit to to pick them up. Huh. Good point. Yeah. I, I did kind of like how Lazarus was doing Macbeth, or not Macbeth, but Richard the Third. Right. It kind of reminded me of how you know Patrick Stewart, uh, who you know is famous for being Professor X, and David Tennant, <laughs> who's famous for being Doctor Who. How oh. you know, therefore, a while they were both doing uh, Macbeth at the same time, and how all these science fiction guys were going to see Shakespeare, and, and you know how the Shakespearean actors were kind of looking down on it that. That they weren't getting the right clientele, where the producers of the show was just like, "I don't care who's buying the tickets. I just, <laughs> I'm glad somebody's watching it." Exactly. But I, I was in the UK when that was going on, and I remember reading in the newspapers that the the other actors on the show were kind of looking down their noses at these this this different type of fan base that was going to see the show. Yeah. So, well, anyways, I just thought that was funny. Reminded me of that. Yep. And that's there's a lot of things. In this uh, show that they've taken from uh, real life as well as uh, fictional, just amazing. Um, okay, so but in the end, five issues, the complete story's there. What do you think? I overall the whole five issues. I mean, you know, I'm a big Galaxy Quest fan, so I hate to say this, but I didn't really care for the overarching story. I mean, it was five issues. Each issue was $4. And I think they could have told the same story in maybe two issues. I don't know. Well, there was, there was fluff. Right. There was ways about that. So, anyway, so what did you think overall? Um, I thought it was okay, but not great. I thought the humor fell flat a lot. I think there are, I, I thought it was drawn out too much. Um, there were some parts I liked. 
There's some bits I liked, but it, it, it was okay, but not not great. I, I don't think I'll be reading this this comic series again. <laughs> right, and, and so. it's unfortunate. As much as I love it, as much as, as, I, as much as I love the original content. Right. Yeah. It's 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 very unfortunate. And like I said, I think if they would have had a a stronger story, maybe a faster paced story, that it could have had more miniseries down the road. Yep. You know, because IDW has you know Buffy and Angel and and other science fiction franchises that that you know that they they seem to have got a, a you know got a core audience and they keep coming out with mini series for those so right just just unfortunate that this one didn't catch on yeah probably not and speaking of buffy one of the chapters in this last issue is titled once more with feeling which is a title of that musical buffy episode oh okay I've never, I've never watched that. You've never watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I have seen a random episode or two, but I definitely have not seen the musical one. Ah, although I've yes. heard good things about it. I, it was good. It, it was, you know, reasonably good, good songs. But there were some that were kind of lame too. Were they? But, was it? Is it kind of the same type of music as Doctor Horrible? Mm, kind of. I mean, you know, toe tapping kind of <laughs> ones. You know, easily uh, poppy kind of tunes, and yeah. some of them are really good, and and a few of them were kind of like eh. Mm-hmm. There's one where uh, Xander's girlfriend—I keep on forgetting her name. She's really cute. She's singing about her fears of rabbits, <laughs> and it was like it just didn't work. Anyway, big digression. <laughs> okay, so right, anything else on this? Okay, so I thought at the end. Where where they're showing the judgmentarians that swayed by uh, Jason's argument or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, because because what they showed is they showed her in the foreground, and they showed in the background of the drawing uh, a whole bunch of other judgmentarians, and where she continues to say how bad uh, humans are. You know, everybody's starving, and the, the the people with the most are ignoring it, and blah blah blah. It's the people in the background that seems to be agitated, or maybe going along with Jason's argument more than uh, than, than 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 hers. I mean, than her who seems to continue to be on board with the idea that Earth needs to be destroyed. Um, well, like, but like... quite but quite frankly, I found the whole that bit at the, near the end to be very weak. And not very well executed. It's like when when Anakin Skywalker turns into Darth Vader and goes ahead and kills uh, Mace Windu. It's like spoiler alert, dude. That oh, who hasn't seen it? <laughs> that transition, I don't think was adequately explained. It was like they had that big moment when he turned to the dark side, and I I didn't buy it. And I did not buy this change here in this book, too. No, I did not buy it. And he didn't, I mean, yeah, he had to convince not only her, but also everybody that's watching it. The other other judgments here, right. right? And basically, somehow, them kind of changing their mind causes physical damage to the ship itself, which is why yeah. she ultimately has to leave. Yeah, what what they said was, the judge, the judgment ship is powered by confidence, and Jason and the other's words shook the confidence of the Judgmentarians enough that they just gave up yeah. and left. 
which was a little silly. Yeah. But yeah. this is also a, a comedy comic book, so maybe maybe we're reading too much into it. Well, yeah. Okay. But but I totally agree with you. I was not overly uh, excited about that part. Right. We had to have a happy ending, so it's almost like, well, we've gone this for five issues. Uh, okay, <laughs> they agree and they leave. Okay, fine. How many more four dollars can we get out of these people? Oh, <laughs> oh, they've had enough. I guess we yeah, we we probably milked it dry. Okay, we got to end it. Okay, uh, so that's all I had to say. So I had one other thing, and and this is going to Ooh, probably. I have one more thing too, but go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead and do yours first. I want a Targathian pulse rifle. Uh, which one is that one? So in the in the spot where Fred jumps out in front of oh uh, yeah Jane Doe. <laughs> And because because uh, Dane is gonna shoot her with a huge gun, like this huge long phallic-like gun, and that's a cool gun. I want one of those. Yeah, and it looks like it actually has like little vials of something like attached to it at the end, or some sort of like tubes, like like television tubes, kind of there at, <laughs> at the base of it. Yeah, it, it's uh-huh. a weird-looking gun. It's it's bitchin'-looking. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you could get one made. Probably. <laughs> enough money. Enough money brought the bear. That's okay. funny. That's that, that's it for me. Go ahead. All right. So the last thing I had, and and this is, again, being nitpicky. On page four, uh, when 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 Nesmith rip, rips the makeup off of Alex, and he's like holding up the rubber headpiece, and he says, mm-hmm. and he wore this for 85 episodes of a long-canceled television show. Yeah. So, according to the Blu-ray of Galaxy Quest, uh, the movie, the Galaxy mm-hmm. Quest, the TV show, lasted 92 episodes. Mm. So, either Taggart is, or Nesmith is, uh, you know, not counting the two-parters, mm-hmm. just counting it as one, or... Or maybe this has just been all made up or something. I don't know. <laughs> and they can't keep their nu- their numbers straight. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure that's it. I'm sure that must be it. So, yeah, so all made up, huh? All made up. Every bit of it. Yeah, so anybody still listening, uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll break, break the news to you. This is not the 24th episode of Galaxy Quest, the comic book review. No, it, tell me it's not true. In fact, these are the only five Galaxy comic books. These are the only five Galaxy Quest comic books ever published. Ever, so, and probably considering what we got here, it's probably just as well. Yeah, it's quite unfortunate. Like I said, I think there's potential there, and and I was yeah. I mean, because you know, Ghostbusters is a comedy sci-fi show, and it's had a pretty good run on comic books. I mean, it's cool. It's been around for a very long time, so. Comedy movies can move into comic books, but this one just didn't. It wasn't the right script. So, of course, this is the April Fool's episode. Yep. And so so Donovan had the idea, let's do an April Fool's episode using Galaxy Quest. And I think it's a fine idea. Just wasn't sure we were going to do it for the entire episode, but so we did. 
And so there it is, our little gift to you. <laughs> April Fool's Day. Happy happy April Fool's Day. And just in case anybody was wondering where we were getting all of these Galaxy Quest quotes and facts from, uh, on the Blu-ray of Galaxy Quest, Michael Akuda, who's big into writing the Star Trek encyclopedias and stuff, he, he wrote a Galactopedia um, entries, so you can go and read about the quote-unquote real TV show of Galaxy Quest, which which was actually pretty interesting to read. And there was also a E! Hollywood Story uh, special that you can find on YouTube that came out about the time the, the TV show came out, or the movie came out, that supposedly delves into the old show, which was which is actually pretty funny. So... If you did stick around and you like Galaxy Quest, I, I recommend you uh, looking both of those up and, and giving them a, a look. Yeah. Really good movie. Thoroughly enjoy the movie. It's a great movie. And, you know, obviously it's it's an homage to all of us Trekkers and stuff that grew up on Star Trek. So I, I thought it was a good tongue-in-cheek look at uh, some people who take Star Trek a little too far and Really? Spend times doing comic can, can you podcasts do that? and stuff like that. Can, can you take it too far? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I haven't seen it personally myself, but I hear that you can. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, anyways, this was a fake episode 24. So next week, come back and you'll get the real episode Episode 24. 24. Yes, exactly. Which, uh, episode 24, the real 24, that we recorded a long time ago, is actually starting off our new post-Star Trek The Motion Picture series. So, it's a good series. Stick around one week, and you'll be back into the Star Trek of things. The real stuff. Yeah. Great. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Quest Comic Book Review. All Galaxy Quest stories and characters are copyrighted DreamWorks Studios, Inc. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. See you next time on Galaxy Quest Comic Book Review. Never give up.